Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. All right. Well, good evening. Yeah. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time out of your life to, uh, to share together this evening. And uh, it's very, very sweet for me to be here for a number of reasons, um, uh, but particularly to see uh, a lot of familiar faces. It's been a few years now that I've been coming here to CIMC to teach, to give talks in the evenings and teach day-longs and uh, so many new faces, which I'm really happy, happy about, happy to meet new, new folks. Uh, and also just feel very warm in my heart to see, to see many of you again. I'm not great with names, but I'm really good with faces. So I, I know that many of us have, have met before, so thank you. Um, some of you know I've just, uh, just come from Barrie, Massachusetts, where I was uh, sitting uh, at the Forest Refuge for uh, the last month. And uh, that retreat just ended yesterday. So uh, it seemed like a good idea six months ago <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to do this. It still seems like a good idea, but... Um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's very sweet to get to come out of retreat and share the share the time together. Um, and uh, as many of you know, this is this is also kind of the beginning of uh, of a whole tour um, related to my book, which uh, which is not actually out yet. All of you guys are kind of getting the the, the early early version. Uh, it is officially available next week, but um, this is the first talk I'm giving. Uh, connected with the book, so just really, really honored and happy to to be here to do that and, and share that with all of you. So this uh, this path and this this practice that comes down to us from the Buddha uh, from over two millennia ago. Um, is not just about sitting with your eyes closed, silently contemplating your thoughts and mind. Uh, it's really meant to be applied uh, and integrated at all levels of our life. It's meant to be transformative of uh, the whole of human experience. And uh, so that includes um, our work, our relationships, uh, the choices we make every day. It includes our communication, our speech. Um, and as we know it, it's, uh, it's, found, it, it's also founded in and goes to uh, the deepest levels of the mind and, and human consciousness to actually uh, examine and understand um, what it is to be alive. And some of the very mechanisms uh, that form our experience as human beings, that actually create the 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 sense of of what it is to be here, to be a person, to be uh, in a body, and to have relationships. We, we get to to study um, in a very uh, clear and detailed way through the process of meditation. Um, the, the patterns and the energies that 
uh, form and create and influence our moment-to-moment experience and actually begin to uh, shift and transform those to kind of uh, set aside and tease out the ones that don't serve us, that actually get us entangled internally, interpersonally, uh, and on a larger level collectively, um, and learn, learn to live in a way that's, uh, that's, that's more in harmony with ourselves, with our environment, and, and with one another. So being alive, uh, being born into the human realm um, means that we are uh, we're sentient, we're conscious, so we, we feel things, you know, so. So we affect each other, you know, so a kind of an intention that arose in this mind, in this consciousness, uh, stimulated an action that then touches your mind and your consciousness. It even touches your body. The sound touches your ear. and So th- this is what it is to be born. Is that we, we live in a realm where we feel, where we are affected by life, by one another, uh, where we affect one another, we impact each other. Uh, and we respond, or we have the capacity to respond. So this is this is a kind of fundamental aspect of what it is to be human. And this means that uh, as as creatures, that we are innately relational. That consciousness itself is relational. It's about this experience, right? Of, of there being the sense of here and there, of this and that, and the meeting of the two. And part of that is this, is this kind of a primary capacity for resonance in the heart that we have, of empathy. That, we, that not only do we, we have sensory experience, uh, but there's, there's, a, there's a deep emotional and... Uh, we could even say moral sense to being human, that we are affected by life and by, and by one another um, in an empathic way. And, and so as social creatures, as relational social, social creatures, uh, the mind, the heart, is, is, it's always relating. That's part of what it does. That's part of its function. It, it's, it's in our... Um, in our very makeup, in our wiring, to be kind of continually assessing, rela- engaging, you know, how am I with, with this, this environment, this place, these people? Do I fit in? Do I belong? How do others see me? Uh, you know, can we cooperate? Where do I stand? So this aspect of, of relationship is, is core, it's central to our makeup as human beings and to our lives. You know, to the very level of our survival, right? As, as social creatures, we depend on one another for, um, for the basic necessities of our life. And that's, you know, in many ways, as a parent today, if you, if you 
look or contemplate it for even a few moments, you know, as it, as it was, you know, when we were living as hunter-gatherers in small bands and, and tribes, needing, needing that sense of tribe to, to survive. Uh, you know, very, very few human beings could, could today in modern society could, you know, survive more than a, more than a couple days in the wilderness on our own. You know, we've lost a lot of those skills, and, and even then, we depend on the environment and the earth for our survival. So, so relationship is core to being human, and if we contemplate or think about the role, you know, how, how, how important are relationships in your life? You just think about the people that you come into contact with on a daily basis, you know, folks at home, roommates, school, work, you know, people we see. What What is our life without those relationships? It's something, you know, there's there's the sacred and there's there's other aspects, other dimensions, but that's that's a big chunk. We think about our joys. You know, think about the things that have brought you some of the most delight and meaning and happiness in your life. You know, meeting someone, falling in love, having a good friend, contributing to others, helping out, being cared for. A lot of our joy and happiness comes from our relationships. And then, of course, right, we know what that means. Because <laughs> we live in a dualistic world, we get the other half, right? You think about your suffering, think about our pain and our sorrow. How much of that comes from our relationships in life? You know, other people our relationship with the world, with society, our relationship with ourself, you know. So within this, within this core dimension or, or area of human life, of our relationships, uh, the quality of those connections is determined by how we engage, right? How we get along. Relationships are a series of interactions that unfold. That's what a relationship is, right? We talk, we see each other, we have a connection, we share words, we share time, these moments of interaction over time. And within these interactions as we engage, it's, it's communication. That's one of the primary, if not the most primary method. Right? It's sort of the main um, channel through which we interact, form, build, and navigate our relationships. And for most of us, most of the time, that means speaking and listening. We write, we text, we email, social media, all that as well, which is a form of speech. So as we, you know, as we zoom in here, as we look at what it is to be human, to be embodied, is to be in this realm of being affected and responding to one another, to, the, to life, 
and the centrality of our relationships, so much of it comes down to our communication. So our words have immense power. So I have a, a fair amount I want to share with you tonight, but I, I thought I would read just, just a few paragraphs from, uh, from the book, from the introduction, um, to kind of just uh, tease out this point a little bit about the power of our communication. So this is from the introduction. So I'll read, I'll read for two or three minutes. What we say matters. We've each felt the power that words have to heal, soothe, or uplift us. Even one caring remark can make the difference between giving up and finding the strength to face life's challenges. We each also know something of the great harm that can be inflicted through speech. Sharp words laced with anger or cruelty can break a relationship or burn for years. Language can be used to manipulate and coerce on a mass scale to fuel fear, war, oppression, or to advance political agendas of genocide or terror. Few things so powerful are also so commonplace. Words are woven into the fabric of our lives your first love, your first job, your last goodbye to someone you love, our beginnings and endings and the countless moments in between are punctuated by a play of words as we share our thoughts, feelings, and desires. Words are a kind of magic. To be alive and self-aware on this remarkable planet with its forests and lakes, its oceans and mountains, in this vast universe with billions of galaxies is mysterious enough. What a marvel to be able to look into each other's eyes for an instant and form words that tell something of our lives. What we say matters perhaps now more than ever. We live in times of great change in which much is being asked of us. We live at a time when we are less and less able to listen and really hear one another in society, at a time when those with different views, beliefs, or backgrounds are, once again, so easily cast as the other. At this time, when great forces of political, social, economic, and environmental change are sweeping the globe and intensifying our separation from self, others, and life, we need to learn how to speak and listen in a new way. We need to learn how to reperceive our world with fresh eyes beyond inherited historical and economic structures of competition and separation that can so easily determine our relationships. It's heartbreaking to know the good of which we are capable, yet to see so much destruction and violence. 
in Japan, there's a saying, the cherry blossoms are beautiful because they are fleeting. We each have an opportunity to use the time and energy we are given with integrity. My hope is that this book might, in some small way, help us begin to realize our potential for good as humans by learning to bring more compassion, wisdom, and kindness to how we navigate the relationships that make up our everyday lives. I hope that it might help us to transform the mechanisms of thought and perception that make violence seem like a viable strategy, that it can be one step in creating a world that works for all. So it's from the introduction. So the way that we communicate, the way that we think, the way that we speak, it shapes how we relate, how we relate to others, how we relate to ourself, and how we relate to our world, to, to our life. And not only that, but as we speak, so our words, our language shapes the relationship, but then the process of speaking and thinking itself then, then reinforces those patterns. And the, and the ways that we speak are simultaneously shaped by the world, by our relationships. So because of that, because speech and communication has this critical role in human experience, it's a tremendously powerful vehicle for transformation. It's right there at the, at the point at the juncture where the mind, the sense of self, meets the world and meets relationship, that's mediated by language and speech so much of the time that when we begin to bring awareness to the process of communication and examine the patterns and the motivations and the habits and the tendencies that are there, it can affect everything. It can, it can begin to transform the whole of our life in part because it's, it's something that we're doing, most of us, all day long, every day, in one form or another, even when we're alone, we're thinking, talking to ourselves. So communication is one of the most powerful levers for change in our life, personally, socially, interpersonally, and, and even collectively. And the beauty is that it's a learned skill. So we can, we can mold it, we can shape it. There's a, it's not, it's not an easy process, but it's a very doable process. It's within each of our reach to begin to tr transform the patterns that, that make up our communication. There, there's, there's two main barriers or two main things that get in the way to transforming our communication, and beginning to have more meaningful relationships, uh, to be more effective in our life, in the world, and to bring more joy and meaning to our lives. The first is the, the momentum of the habits and the conditioning that we have. 
The second is uh, the fragmentation of our attention. So I want to say a little bit about each of these. Uh, the, the, the reality is that on the one hand, it's kind of remarkable when you step back and think about how important communication is in our life for all of the reasons I've mentioned, you know, how, how it really determines to a large degree the quality of our relationships. Um, so much of our, even our professional success is dependent on what are called soft skills and our ability to communicate well and build relationships. When you, when you step back and, and, th and think about that and realize that, you know, how much explicit communication training do most people have? You know, if you think about the 18 or more years of schooling you've had, you know, how many people had a communication class? You know, maybe a few here and there, right? But it's not really taught in the schools. But the, but the fact is that we've all actually had communication training it's just been unconscious and unintentional. We've been trained to communicate by our family, by our schools, by our society, by our culture. We didn't invent this thing. <laughs> it's inherited, right? We didn't invent the words that we use or the grammar. Language is a shared cultural phenomenon. It's something that we inherit. That voice in your head you didn't make that. <laughs> it was put there by other people. So those habits and those patterns were formed by society through social contact. So we've all been trained to communicate. We'll look at the society that trained us. You know, how well does it care for the weak or the sick? How well does it steward our resources on the planet or care for our environment? How well does it get along with others that are different from us? That's what trained us to communicate. You know, how much do we want to trust that? And how skillful do we think that is? So we've all had communication training, decades, decades of it. So there's a lot of momentum there. This thing has been formed, not just in our own life, but over millennia. Right, so we inherit language, we, in, we, we receive this tool that's been molded and shaped by generations of society, of human beings, and it gets implanted in our consciousness. It tells us to do things, it tells us not to do things, it tells us who we are and how we are and what we should be and what we shouldn't be and what we can be and what we might be, but we probably won't be because it's, you know, that voice. So but because of this, precisely because it's a tool, it's malleable, we can begin to reshape it. So this is both a barrier, this level of momentum and training that we have, but it's, it's also part of what makes it possible. Right? If it weren't learned, if it weren't acquired, we couldn't change it. Right? Like we can't change certain things about our biology. They're not learned. They're, they're hardwired. They're in there. Language can be shifted. Perception, communication, those can be shifted.
I'm gonna, I'll say more about the second barrier a little bit later, the fragmentation of attention, which is so kind of endemic in our society today. Um, but the, the system of training that I've developed, uh, which is, forms the, the basis of, of my book, Say What You Mean, is uh, three core trainings uh, to help us uh, get a handle on this phenomenon of communication that sits at this core in our life. And the first of these is training in mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness is the first and most primary fundamental foundational tool for communication. If we can't be aware, good luck. <laughs> you know, if we can't be aware, we're just running on habit. We're on automatic. So, so being mindful, being aware is the prerequisite for any effective, meaningful communication. So one of the questions that, I, that I, I, I've had for, for some years and that this book is in some ways an attempt to address is you know, how do we create the conditions for more meaningful conversations? Right? We've all had conversations that go south. Right? Even with the best of our intentions where it's like you're trying really hard and it still blows up in your face. You're like, I don't know what went wrong. You know, my heart was in the right place. I was being sincere and like it still just totally fell apart. And then we've had other, you know, other situations where there's just so much beauty and meaning and connection and flow and love and uh, joy that can be shared with another human being. I was like, what's going on there? Well, this is so different. What, what are the conditions that, m that, that can start to, tip things in that scale of having more of those healthy, productive, satisfying conversations. Mindfulness is one of the first. You know, if we're not paying attention, how can we have a meaningful conversation? Just think about how many misunderstandings, arguments, fights, problems, and challenges just come from the simple fact of, of one of us not paying attention, not really being present. So mindfulness is, as, 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 most, as many of you, if not all of you already know, or you can be here in this room at CIMC, you know, mindfulness is really powerful mental factor, intensely transformative uh, uh, quality in human consciousness that we can develop, that we can strengthen. One of its, one of its most... Uh, remarkable and generous gifts is that it, it gives us back our life. You know, the Buddha, so those, those who are not mindful are as if already dead. When we're when we're not paying attention, we're sleepwalking through our life. So cultivating awareness means that we're actually living. One of the other primary benefits of mindfulness, among many, but one other one I want to single out here that's relevant to communication and to liberation, is that mindfulness gives us the potential to step back and begin to observe the flow of our experience. 
instead of being defined by it or bound by our habits and our reactivity. And that's that's counterintuitive. That's not it's not necessarily something we realize on our own without some guidance that we can observe. We can be aware of what's happening without needing to believe it or act on it. That's one of the main things we strengthen and cultivate through meditation practice. So this first core training in mindfulness, the kind of key instruction that I offer and and go into in many uh, its many facets and practices for in the book is uh, to lead with presence. To lead with presence in our life and in particular in our conversations, in our communication. Because awareness is the foundation for meaningful conversation and for connection, before anything else, before the words, before the agenda, the emotions, the questions, before anything else, can we just show up? And can we have some trust in this basic capacity to be here in an embodied way? Leading with presence has many different facets to it. Being aware, mindful is one of them. It also means that we we start to slow down enough internally so that we don't get swept up in the rush of a conversation's pace. Things happen so quickly in a conversation. Leading with presence helps us to restrain some of that momentum. And And then the more aware we are, the more choice we have. Conversation's an organic process. It takes time. We really need to be here. It takes, we have to breathe. It takes space. But our, the pace of our society today is not organic. It's, uh, it's mechanized. You know? And technology just keeps keeps going faster. So our nervous system gets tuned to the pace of our devices. You know, now, 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 next, 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 next. Push a button, push a button, push. Well, people are not machines. <laughs> you know, well, just tell me what I need to know. Just, 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 get, just cut to the chase, right? That's not the way it works. <laughs> Have you noticed? <laughs> you know? We are organic beings. We breathe. Language, speech, is is uh, a flow of breath that's shaped. So leading with presence also means that we begin to attune to this more natural rhythm of conversation, to learn to remember how to how to let things ebb and flow, to take time, you know. Different cultures, different, you know, even here in the United States, have different pace, different pace of speech, different parts of the country. And leading with presence also means that we develop 
just as we were touching into a little bit in the meditation earlier this evening, we develop a ground of awareness so that we have uh, an internal basis of stability from which to meet uh, the changing conditions of our life, of our relationships, the challenges that come up. So this is the first core training, is training in mindfulness and learning how to lead with presence in a conversation. As we do this, as we develop in mindful awareness, one of the things that we become mindful of, that we observe, that we become aware of in the flow of our human uh, experience uh, is our intentions. We recognize that our actions are, are come from a certain place, that there's this push inside. Something motivates us. So intention is the, is the kind of vector that drives our actions. It's uh, the wish or inclination inside, the motivation, that sense of volition that points the mind and the heart in a certain direction and says, I'm going to go this way, I want to do this, I want to move in that, that direction. This is a very powerful quality of, uh, of the human mind very important quality for meditation and liberation. There are a range of, you know, very wide range of intentions that we can have as human beings. Um, from, you know, more uh, unhealthy, problematic or harmful ones like uh, greed, more for me, I want, I want, it's craving, that sense of wanting to suck something in, or uh, hostility, ill will, anger, aversion, that uh, bristling of the mind that, that reacts to something we don't like and wants to destroy it or push it away, which has, you know, uh, has a wholesome aspect too. That protective energy of anger is, 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 can be healthy, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ill will that actually wants to harm. Um, to more beautiful intentions, things like generosity and sharing, Oh, here, have some. You know, oh, I have enough. Come, come in, come join me. That's an intention. It's very beautiful, it's uplifting. Uh, kindness, compassion, are you okay? Everything all right? You know, the heart moves in that direction with a certain quality. Patience, these are all intentions, motivations, inclinations in the heart. To more subtle intentions, like... Uh, like an intention to pause or linger. I'm not sure. I just kind of feel that out. Intention to restrain, to hold back. No, Oren, no, just wait. Hold, don't say that. No, no. <laughs> That's an intention. Keep it here. The intention to listen, you know, to understand. Well, what are you really saying? I really pay attention here. So mindfulness starts to reveal this dimension of human experience of intention, what's driving our actions in life. And as I said, intention is a key factor on the path to awakening because it's what directs the heart. So intention determines what we pay attention to. Based on what we want, based on where our heart is kind of aiming, then we start to pay attention to that, you know? So... Uh,
someone was telling me a story recently about um, an event they were at teaching, and there was a kind of long sidewalk uh, to on the to the dining hall from the meditation hall. And there's this huge, massive tree just outside the dining hall. And you know, mentioned it one day. Says, you know, people say, oh, tree? See the tree? Every time they're walking down that path, they're thinking about lunch, getting to the dining hall. And there's this long path, long straight path in the door. So kind of the mind is focused on lunch. That's what you pay attention to. So you don't notice the tree, right? Because your intention is focused on getting the food, getting there, right? It's like when you're rushing to leave your house to get to work on time, you don't notice the flowers or the weather or, you know, because your intention is focused on something else. Or that that saying, you know, um, a pickpocket only notices a saint's pockets. Somebody who's a thief meets a holy person. They just, that's not what they see because their mind, their intention is focused on what can I get from them. Intention is also from the perspective of uh, awakening. It's where we create karma. It's, uh, it's, it's what shapes our consciousness and our mind, and it's what sows the seeds for future experience. So very powerful factor. And so in the training of communication, what we start to recognize is that there are certain default intentions that get implanted in the habits that we've picked up from our society in communication, and that a lot of those are not actually that helpful. Intentions to defend and, and, and judge, uh, to get more, to be right, to win, you know, those tend to place us in an adversarial relationship with others, which is not really conducive to collaboration and understanding and uh, connection. So we start to study, well, how do I shift those intentions and how can I cultivate more helpful, meaningful intentions in my conversations and relationships? And so this is the second core training, is developing uh, positive, healthy intentions in our relationships and communication. And the instruction here, the main training, um, is to come from curiosity and care. There are many, many different wholesome, healthy intentions we can have, but these are two of the default ones that are the most useful to fall back on. Curiosity, that sense of, let me just try to understand. Incredibly transformative factor in a conversation. If you leave here with nothing else tonight, just try to understand when you're in conversation with someone. Just just keep coming back to that. Okay, let me see if I'm let me see if I'm hearing you. I really, let me see if I can understand where you're coming from. That will start to shift things if it's genuine. And then the sense of care, sense of goodwill. That doesn't mean we have to like people. It just means we don't wish them harm. That doesn't feel good for us either. It's just the sense of you know, just may you be well. So you're having a hard day, I get that. Just may you be well. Finding that, there's, there's release in that for us. And it creates the, the, the space for a different kind of conversation to happen. So there are limits to any 
communication form or model. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, I haven't said any much of anything yet about words, like what you say. You know, I said there are three core trainings. I've talked about two of them already. The communication is primarily not about what we say. It's about where we're coming from inside. And it's about the quality of connection and understanding that we're able to create with another human being. That's what communication's about. The words are secondary. So if you have a conversation with somebody and they say one thing, but their tone of voice and their facial expression or their body language is saying something else, which do you trust? Right, so where's the communication? Is it in the words? No. Words matter, right? What we say matters. That's the, that's the first line of the book. What we say does matter. But it's where it's coming from that we can really start to work to transform it, and those are the foundations. So that's why the first two core trainings are not about what we say. It's about are we here and where are we coming from. That's the foundation. Then... Then we can start to look at, okay, how do I start to translate that into words? Otherwise, otherwise your center's off, right? Otherwise, we're just, we're just running the same trip, trying to manipulate people or get our way with fancier words. The heart's got to be aligned, and we need to be here and grounded. So I said the second barrier to picking up these tools and really transforming our communication is the tremendous fragmentation of our attention in society today. And this is the, this is the third core training in, uh, in this system, which is learning to train our attention more skillfully. Contemplative practice itself, meditation, is a, a, play, is a huge uh, training in attention. Learning, learning how to use our attention wisely. So as human beings, one of the capacities that we have is to choose where we place our attention. And this is a, the, we can take this for granted because it's so commonplace. So those of you who have taken a class or workshop with me have probably done this before. Um, but just do a brief experiment together. You don't need to change how you're sitting or anything. You don't have to close your eyes or get all zen. Just, um, just for a moment, you close your eyes and, and uh, just however you're sitting, just put your, see if you can put your attention in your hands and feel the sensations that are there, warmth or coolness, pressure, maybe tingling or moisture. And then see if you can shift your focus of attention into your feet and then feel any sensations there. And now notice the sound of my voice that you're hearing as it passes and changes from moment to moment. Okay, that's it. Pretty ordinary, right? So what's the big deal?
There is a multi-billion dollar industry <laughs> that is trying as hard as it can to own that capacity, to, to choose where your attention goes. Billions of dollars and to research into persuasive technology and design and algorithms and AI, not just advertising, this is next level stuff, you know, to try to predict and influence human behavior, to attract our attention, to, and to maintain it so that we lose that capacity to choose what am I paying attention to. That's why the devices are so addictive. They're designed to be. Meditation practice is about reclaiming the authority over our attention. Saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm choosing where I place my attention. Not just in the external world, but in here as well. Right? Those obsessive thoughts, a self-critical voice, you know, the way we sabotage ourselves. Or Why do I keep doing that? Why does my mind keep going there? We, we start to regain a sense of agency internally over what we do with our attention, where we place it. So a lot of contemplative practice is learning how to use this very ordinary basic capacity skillfully. What do we place our attention on? Whatever you place your attention on, that will become the dominant theme of your mind. That will become the internal atmosphere with which you live. You place your mind on, you know, material wealth, that will begin to obsess your mind. That will be what you think about. That will be what you notice. That will be what you orient towards. You know, place your mind on lust, sensual desire, physical desire. That will be what fills your mind what fills your thoughts, what organizes your life and behavior. Place your mind, your attention on generosity, on kindness, on patience, on simplicity, renunciation, relinquishment, other intentions. That will begin to be what shapes your mind, what, uh, what determines your internal atmosphere. So where we place our attention is immensely powerful. And this is the third key area of training in communication is how do we use our attention in a conversation? What do we pay attention to, right? Am I paying attention to my judgments of you and my thoughts and my beliefs and what you didn't do last time and what you should have done and what I know you'll probably do next time because it's never been different before and you know that sort of stuff? What am I noticing? So the the, the the training here is to focus on what matters. Focus on what matters. And we learn to identify certain key aspects of experience that when we can notice and pay attention to in relationship, in life, um, make it easier to understand one another and make it more likely that we can work together. And this is the core, um, uh, the core components of what's, what's called nonviolent communication, which is a key uh, system that's, that informs, that makes up a core part of my book. 
This was developed by Marshall Rosenberg in uh, the 80s, late 70s and early 80s. It's an international uh, system of communication. And I'll just say very briefly what these four components of training our attention are. Uh, so the first is to, is to notice what's happening specifically to observe what's happening in our experience independently of our judgments and evaluations and interpretations. To start to separate out all of the filters, all of the biases that we bring to the moment and start to tease apart and discern, yeah, 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 but, 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 but what happened? Well, she's just so inconsiderate. She only thinks of herself, okay, yeah, yeah, it's, but, but what happened? <laughs> what did she do? What did she say? You know? So to be able to make clear observations in ourselves and in others about what's actually happened. And then to, to be clear about our feelings and others' feelings, these very powerful forces. How do we feel about it on the inside? Not the story that we're telling, but how we actually feel on the inside. And then why? We only feel emotions when something matters to us. If we don't care about it, we don't have any feelings about it. If there's an emotion there, something matters to you. So what matters? Or in nonviolent communication, as we say, what do we need? What are the deeper values or needs that are at play here? And this is where this is very, uh, very potent area of human experience to begin to notice. Needs are what drive us. Human beings are motivated to meet our needs in life, the same way a plant turns towards the sun. We're all just trying to get our needs met. But most of the time we're unaware of what needs we're actually trying to meet. So beginning to be conscious of the deeper needs beneath our actions and choices is incredibly liberating and transformative. Don't take my word for it. Begin to look for yourself and see what happens when I ask myself, what do I need here? What do I want? What's important to me? Why am I doing this? And see what happens if you follow that thread of inquiry. So what happened, our observations, how do we feel about it, why? And then where do, where do we want to go from here? What's next? What could be helpful? This is about making requests. So we train our attention to identify these components of experience and then learn to use our attention in a conversation in a very nimble and flexible way to stay focused on what's actually important from moment to moment in this organic and often messy flow of interaction with another human being. And when we can do this, when we can lead with presence and we can come from curiosity and care and stay focused on what matters, the potential for having more meaningful conversations, more fulfilling relationships, and of working together to build a more just and equitable society is far, far greater. So I'll stop there and offer these thoughts for your reflection. Thanks so much for your kind and patient attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.